You're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad and coming to St. Bridget's a little later in the month is The Humours of Bandon and it is by Margaret McAuliffe and Margaret is a graduate of the Getty School of Acting and uh, this is a one-woman show and it's about Annie and uh, she is a 16-year-old Irish dancer and she's from Dublin and uh, I'm going to say hello to uh, Margaret and let Margaret take it up from there because you have the story, you know what it's about, um, <laughs> you know where the concept came from, and you've been touring this for a while now. Tafalteroth. Hogger of Margaret. So, a little about yourself. Um, I mentioned there you're a graduate of the Getty School of Acting. So I am. You've been obviously uh, on on the on the boards for a long number of years. I have indeed, yeah. I um I graduated from the Gaiety School of Acting in 2010 uh into a recession. <laughs> so um for uh the first 3 years it took a while to kind of get my first professional gig, but once it came in 2013, 2014, I was kind of getting hired by professional theater companies and touring around with companies like Rough Magic and we were in Paris and London and all over Ireland and Scotland and then 2016 happened and I had nothing on the horizon as tends to happen sometimes with this career it's pre- it's precarious enough and uh there was an initiative called Show in a Bag coming up for the Dublin Fringe Festival and my father had messaged me and said, you know, have you ever thought about writing your own work? I was reading about this actress that in in, in a quiet period of her career, she decided to pen something herself. So I had done Irish dancing for many, many years from the age of five till about 23, really. And so I thought, yeah, I might write something for this show in a bag initiative. And so I submitted my proposal. I wrote just one page, a little teaser of kind of my writing style. And I kind of got the sense after performing in front of the panel that I might be selected all right, because I I hadn't yet seen a play about Irish dancing, particularly competitive Irish dancing. I think the world and his mother knows about River Dance and Lord of the Dance. But very few people know about the inner workings of the competition circuit. And it is really a very dramatic and funny and heartwarming uh, arena from which to tell a story, a very simple coming of age story. So that's how it all came to pass. Interesting that that is the the focus. And since you penned this, um, a scandal did erupt over Mm -hmm. competitive dancing. Indeed. Um, are you glad you had your writing complete? <laughs> complete? <laughs> it's so interesting. Um, when I was touring, I was actually in East Galway during the East Galway Fit Up Festival last year when that story broke and it was on the Joe Duffy show. I'm sure <laughs> your listeners uh, know what I'm talking about. So it was on basically for the whole week, different yes. people calling up, talking yes. about the scandal. And I remember speaking with one of the workers on the festival and he said that there isn't an amateur sport out there that doesn't have sort of cheating or bias or anything like that. So he said, although it's very, very disappointing, it's kind of par for the course in anything that's judged on a subjective level. 
Yeah, and I suppose that's always a challenge, given how you say you danced yourself for so many years, that when you look at performance-type sports, Mm -hmm. whether it be synchronized swimming or gymnastics, dancing, something like that, the marking is somewhat subjective. Yeah, I think so. I think you can do... You can... um judge someone based on their technique and that is um that's a uh, that's a particular style that you can that that you can favor you can say okay so technically this dancer is foot perfect we would say which means you know they have their feet turned out their carriage is good they're um they're lifting really really high for their light dances they're creating a great sound a great strong rhythm in their in their heavy shoe dances but then another judge will come along and say, yes, they're very, very good technically, but I'd be, I'd be more in favor of a, a stylish dancer. So I'd be willing to let slide uh, a little, uh, maybe a foot in the back that wasn't quite turned out in, in favor of something that has a bit of flair or showmanship. So I guess it really does depend on the judge's particular judging right. style at the end of the day. So do you carry any of that into your your um, script? Well, it's interesting. When I was performing the same lines I had been performing for six years previous, when I was performing them during that particular week where everybody was listening to Joe Duffy, they started to ring a little differently. So I had lines like... Um, so say one of the Irish dancing teachers was helping to put our protagonist out onto the stage. And he says... You're dancing lovely, Annie. The costume is gorgeous on you. Best to look now. And Annie remarks on that later to say that, oh, I don't want to give the game away, but after she knew something about how the competition had gone, right. that, that, that that judge was calling it or in some way insinuating that she might win. Now, when I wrote it, it was a very innocent comment. But of course, after the scandal went down, it sounded like he was deciding that she was going to win in that moment, which he definitely wasn't. So it's just interesting. Context is uh, context can change everything. So with that in mind, post scandal, did you find audience reaction was different? Um, Particularly in, in Ireland, particularly. In Ireland, during that week where it was a hot topic, yes. Yeah. Now, prior um, prior to that, I have kind of I did the most amount of my touring in 2017 around Ireland, and so since then, and certainly post COVID and uh, post baby, I had a baby in 2021. Um, I have only done kind of a handful of performances in Ireland, so uh, I haven't really noticed a a trend towards people picking up on those lines uh, a bit differently to how they did before the pandemic. And as like uh, with a lot of things, when something is in the news, there's heightened awareness and it doesn't mm-hmm. take a not very long for it to dissipate. Absolutely. Yeah. What is that famous quote? Um, uh, it's a German quote, but uh, it was translated into English. Somebody had gotten a bad review and he he writes... Dear sir, I'm sitting in the smallest room of my house with your review in front of me. Soon it will be behind me. <laughs> <laughs> so, Magella, then 
in your career, um, first of all, when you said that you uh, after you graduated, the path to getting notice, because that is the nature of what you do. Mm-hmm. You have to get noticed in order to get work. Mm-hmm. Is that a challenge? Oh, yes. And it consistently, it continues to be a challenge. Um, I guess as opposed to being noticed, it's more about having your name in the ether. So that when somebody is thinking about casting something, they go, who'd be right for that? And they just kind of pluck a name out of thin air. Now we might think that's thin air, but to take it out of the world of of uh, dancing for a second or or acting. I used to work as a waitress in a, a restaurant in Dublin City. And I was always really taken aback whenever somebody would order something off the menu that wouldn't be that common. So like the least favoured dish on the whole menu. And they might pair it with a wine that is never ordered ever. Like there'd be, there'd be dust all over the bottle. And I would serve them and they would pay and they would leave the restaurant. And inevitably, at some later stage in that shift, a different person would come in and they might order the same pairing. Now, I would always think, God, that is so weird because I would never, ever get anybody ordering this at all. Yet in the same day, two people have ordered the same combo. And I kind of used to scream out loud, well, not scream out loud, but shout out loud, Oh, Margaret's getting cast in the next Abbey production <laughs> just to get it up there into the ether. Because I do think, yes, when you're noticed, your name is floating around and therefore people think on you to, to, uh, to audition or to hopefully offer a part to. But, uh, you have to be good at the same time and you have to keep your, um, your tools sharpened really. Make sure that your voice is good, that you're supple, that you're fit that you are um, maybe learning lines for something else so that you're exercising your memory. Um, yeah, you, you kind of have to keep everything kind of motoring so that you're ready to go once those opportunities present themselves. Yeah, I have a number of friends who are in the acting uh, industry in our directors in Dublin. Okay. And um, I know that they when they audition, that the time lag between auditioning and when you actually hear also can be a, a, a bit of time that um, you're hanging on <laughs> wondering. Absolutely. absolutely. And so I think a really important thing to do nowadays, um, I would certainly say to any new graduate from an acting program, is to keep busy, to not have acting as the your sole focus so that if you have lots of different things going on, you're not waiting by the by the phone because it just makes that wait all the more painful. Um, but also... Sometimes nowadays you don't even hear that you didn't get the job. Uh, you mightn't know that you didn't get the job until you see a cast list announced on social media. And then you kind of go, oh, God, <laughs> so yeah. that's cast. Obviously, you didn't get that. Yeah. Uh, it's very, very hard. Um, it, it's, it, it was always tough in our industry, but it's particularly hard now, I think. Doing a one woman show what, in what you're doing, in the genre that you're doing it or in the in what you have written. Mm-hmm. Do you have any concerns of being typecast? Um, I think I am a uh, an Irish woman with red hair and pale skin and freckles. So I think I'm always going to get typecast. But you have to know kind of what you what 
what you present to the world and how people are going to perceive you. And so I guess I am playing into that slightly with writing a, a story about a, a young Irish dancer. But also I would kind of give um casting directors credit and to know that I can do other things other than Irish dance. Um, and I've played different parts since I debuted the play and um, they haven't been Irish and, you know, they haven't they haven't had any kind of leanings towards dance at all. I played a fox last year in, in the Dublin Fringe Festival. <laughs> But I guess that does really play into the red hairs. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could play into other things too. But, um, <laughs> um, and I guess another another way you could look at that then is all this does is highlights your versatility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing either. Mm-hmm. If somebody does think. Uh, about the actress Margaret McAuliffe and they say right how do we know her it's like oh yeah you know the one who did the Irish dancing play mm-hmm. I'm, ju- I'm just happy that they know who I am yeah no but I was talking in terms of you know the way some people get typecast they're always going to be the gangster or oh always, I understand yeah in that context that, mm. it, they, that they did a very good job as a gangster in one thing and they're gangster for the rest of their life oh uh, yes I know yeah. what you mean yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I think that's going to happen regardless. I think right. people do make snap judgments based on somebody, how they look or how their voice sounds and things like that. Um, I know certainly I was never one to play the ingenue. When I graduated um, drama school, I was always playing the mother characters or the old crone or someone who was a little bit more mature with a bit of life experience behind them. I never got cast as the doe-eyed young princess or whatever like that. Right, right. Um and happily so, to be honest with you, I never thought that those parts suited me. Um, but even when I was 17, my first foray into acting was um, in Leonard Bernstein's Candide. So the Belvedere, it's a uh, Belvedere College is a is a private school in mm-hmm. Dublin, in, in the north of Dublin for boys. And every year they audition girl parts for their musical, which they call the Belvedere Opera. And uh, I auditioned for the show in 2000 uh, that would open the O'Reilly Theatre. And I got cast as the old lady. Um, she was one of the main parts. She just didn't have a, a first name. And uh, ever since then, I've always gotten cast much, much older than I am. Uh, I think it's to do with the fact that I have a a lower register to my voice as okay. a woman. Yeah. Um, and yeah, maybe an old soul as well. Yeah, in my time, we didn't go for outside auditioning for those parts. Hence, oh. <laughs> hence when when we did Oliver, I was one of the ladies of the night in the bar room. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I hope you have some photos. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm <laughs> like, well, <laughs> the ones I do have are from the top hat from we did the Acadians. Uh, or the wow. Acadians, and I and I had a, a top hat part in that. Great, uh, yeah. But, so uh, you 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 treaded the boards yourself, uh, briefly. Just just yeah. yeah that was uh, that's boarding school. Um, oh, I see, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, so, um, let's talk about some of the housekeeping here. You're on tour. I am indeed. And uh, tell us where you you're, what how where how far afield are you going, and how far afield are you coming? Okay, so we left Ireland at the end of April, and it's a seven-week tour. So our first stop was Chicago. So we played in Chicago on the Thursday night. Then it was Milwaukee on Friday night. 
and it was Minnesota on Saturday night, and it was Cincinnati on Sunday night. And then Monday, we had a much-deserved day off. And then yesterday, we traveled here to Seattle. So we're playing the Bainbridge Art Center. Let me just get it up on the, my Master Tour app. It's all done on apps nowadays. It's great. So let me see. Yes, the show is um, at Bainbridge Performing Arts on Bainbridge Island, Washington State on Friday. So in two days time. Then uh, we travel to L.A. We're going to be in L.A. for three shows. Then we're going to San Francisco. Then we're going to Kansas City. Then we're traveling to New York City where we play the New York Irish Center in Queens. Then we're traveling to Boston. Then we're going to Albany. Then we're going to Toronto, as you know. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to Ottawa for the show at St. Bridget's. Then mm-hmm. we're going back to Toronto for the show at the Canada Ireland Foundation. Mm-hmm. Then we're traveling to Washington, D.C., where we will spend the final two weeks of the tour going to the same venue in the same stage every night for two weeks. Well, I know that can be exhausting. It's also at least you get a chance to, during the day, to have a little bit of downtime. This is it. And yeah. I'm very much looking forward to Washington, D.C. on account of the fact that my husband and daughter will be flying in to spend that time with me. Brilliant. Um, this is the longest I've ever been away from her. So it was quite a tearful goodbye on my part. She um, was fine. <laughs> <laughs> she was fine. She was like, uh, yeah, oh, and, uh, and how's the husband doing? Oh, he's wrecked. God love him. I'm doing video calls with him. And, you know, the eyes that just belie uh, uh, an interrupted night's sleep. And um, he's also working and trying to get dinners on and washes on. And, yeah, he's absolutely wrecked. So I hope by the time they arrive, I'm going to be able to take her off his hands and get him some rest, uh, some much needed rest. You know how it is when they're so young. Yeah, it's a distant memory. No, it's not. We we know with the grandkids, we have them. We're we're uh-huh. babysitting this coming weekend. Oh um, God, <laughs> hope that wasn't triggering for you. <laughs> so why or wh- what chose the humours abandoned? Why why did you pick the humours abandoned? Uh, this is a very short story. I didn't know what to call my play. I hadn't written the play yet, but the Dublin Fringe Festival wanted me to give the title so that they could get get on with their marketing. So I went over to my friend Donna Mulligan's house and I said, I don't know what to call the play. I don't know what it's going to be about. And he said, right, what are you thinking? And I said, the real deal. The jig is up. He's like, no, you're not allowed to name your play. That's so cheesy. So he said, just give me a few names of traditional Irish tunes. So I said, Blackbird, Job of Journey Work, Garden of Daisies, St. Patrick's Day, Humor's Abandon. He's like, call it the Humor's Abandon. So I did. Fantastic. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, Margaret McAuliffe, it's been a real pleasure meeting and I'm looking forward to seeing you perform. Oh, um, yes. Well, yeah. I hope I hope um, I get an opportunity to meet you in person after the show. And uh, you heard there it's uh, the dates are well, it's in Toronto, then up to Ottawa and then back down to Toronto. Uh, mm-hmm. So keep an eye for it's towards the end of the month. I know I'll here give you in, the exact date here. Ottawa, you're here on the 25th, which is the 25th. Thursday. Yes. So we're playing the twen- Wednesday, the 24th in the Canada Ireland Foundation in Toronto. Mm. Then on the 25th, as you say, the show at St. Bridget's. And then on the 26th, we're going back to the same uh, Canada Ireland Foundation in Toronto. Well, it is definitely going to be a flying visit to Ottawa. It is. <laughs> You'll get a little, bit, a little bit more time in Toronto. Margaret, it's been a real pleasure. And thank you so much for taking the time 
and uh, we might go out with the Umar's abandon or are they the one of the pieces of the music the tune? <laughs> 